0: You're listening to the Citrus Church Podcast. Now, here's the message. Then, I saw a new heaven for the former heaven and the former earth had passed away and the sea was no more saw the holy city new jerusalem coming down out of heaven from god made ready as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband i heard a loud voice from the throne say look God's dwelling is here with humankind. He will dwell with them, and they will be His peoples. God Himself will be with them as their God. Wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. There will be no mourning, crying, or pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And the one seated on the throne said look, I'm making all things new. He also said write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, All is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning.
1: Just joining with us this morning. My name is Brian. I serve as the pastor of Citrus, and this morning is All Saints Sunday. And Maybe you're not sure exactly what that means, um, but for us, All Saints Sunday is a, a day in the life of the church. It's been celebrated um, for over a thousand years where we remember the lives of those who have gone on to glory, have gone on to be with Jesus in the last year. Um, it, it's, it's a more somber day, and it always follows All Hallows Eve or Halloween, And it's a reminder to us of the ways that the lives of the saints, of ordinary people um, like parents and relatives and friends in the faith and leaders in the church, have influenced and shaped our lives. And so in a lot of ways, it's not really a day to mourn. It's a day to give thanks and to be thankful for the impact that others have had in shaping our faith. Those who introduced us to Jesus at a young age, those whose life and example Modeled for us how we could live, so I want to invite you as just as we go through the sermon today in your head to think about those people who have impacted your life but perhaps are not with us anymore at this period and as we shared later in the service today we 'll have a chance to share communion together um, and to create a space where we can remember and give thanks for those lives so as you saw in the in the scripture just before, uh, it comes from revelation twenty one and that 's the scripture we 're going to look at today, and there 's this really beautiful passage in there that talks about this idea that there will come a time when there will be no more tears. And this passage in Revelation that we just heard and saw is one of the most uh, hope-filled passages because it doesn't just look ahead to a time when everything is great and rosy and perfect. It, it's, a, it's a passage that stands in the reality of what we experience today. But with a resolute hope, looks forward to a time that is to come. And I can't think of anything more that you and I need right now than to be able to stand in uh, the river that's rolling around us without our input, so to speak, and be able to look with confidence ahead to a time that will come. So my hope as we share this uh, passage today and as we dive into it deeper that we will have that confidence and that we can find that in Jesus today. Because while the good news that we read here in the Bible is that there will come a time when there will be no more tears, the reality of what we do see today in the world is that we do still cry and grieve because of everything that's going on. And so, on a normal All Saints' Sunday, there's this this solemnness of looking back. But I think if we were to really dig into that this morning and just to think about what we've gone through, we would all realize that. That what Revelation is describing is not happening right now. Because we do still have mourning and crying and pain. And what I want to begin with this morning is just a recognition of what has happened, not even in the last year, and less than that, here in the world. Because there are many more new tears this year as we think about that passage from Revelation. For example, we think about just the state of Florida alone, and a reminder that attributed to COVID, we have had 16,000 deaths just in Florida alone. And if we expand that out a little bit, in the United States, uh, as of last week, we had 228,000 COVID-related deaths. There's probably come to the point at this period right now where you know someone or you know someone who has had immediate family who's experienced this. And to bring a little bit another level of sobering perspective, at least for me, is that throughout the world, there have been 1,170,000 COVID-related deaths. And to maybe offer a sense of perspective on this, the population of Orange County is 1,300,000 people. And so you think about that number just related to what that would look like here in Orange County, where we, we live. I recognize that many of you are joining in from other places around uh, the state and the world. But what I want to do is just to put this reminder up here as a way of saying that we have a lot to pause about in this moment. And on a day like today, we have lives that we can give thanks for, but we also have some next steps that we need to take to make sure that that these numbers don't continue. So I want to get into this by looking this morning at a story from John chapter 11. Uh, And in John chapter 11, it's the story of what I believe is one of Jesus's best friends, as we would describe him today. And it's Lazarus. Uh, Lazarus was one of Jesus's best friends, and his sisters Martha and Mary were also some of Jesus's closest friends too. And, And they were part of, while they may not have been named as disciples, they were They were there in all of those moments and all those big opportunities. um, They formed that kind of circle of friends. And I think that you'll see this as we go through this today. Uh, It's it's a long and amazing and beautiful and even kind of heart-wrenching story. So I'd encourage you later today to go back and look at John 11 and and read it out. But I'll give you uh, the Cliff Notes version this morning. Because at this point in John 11, uh, Lazarus is ill. And he's fallen very sick. And uh, Martha and Mary are worried that it's not just the kind of sickness that he'll get over in a couple of days with uh, some rest and some recuperation. Even they recognize that it's the kind of illness that can lead to death. Uh, And so he is sick, and they run, and they tell Jesus the news. And at this point in the story where we're about to pick up, uh, Lazarus has already died. Uh, They they mentioned it to Jesus, and he was making his way there, and he wasn't quite there yet. But at this point, uh, Lazarus has died from this illness. Uh, And he's actually been, at this point, dead for four days. And at this point here, uh, Martha said to Jesus, "'Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died.'" "'Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died.'" And my hunch is you and I can relate to Martha in this passage because we have been there. We have had these kinds of questions like, God, if, if, you, if you had done something, this situation could have turned out different. And God, if you had just changed something or, or why didn't you? The, the why questions that come after something that's as horrible as losing, in this case for Jesus, one of his best friends or a brother. I mean, you and I can ask, if God is good, why is there still mourning and crying and pain for me, for you, for all of us in this collective world together at this point in history? And Jesus Jesus says to Martha, and you can read it there, he says, uh, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, you know, like, I know that. <laughs> and that to me sounds like some of the advice that you have probably heard too, maybe at a funeral or Um, at just a really tough moment in life, when someone just kind of offers you that kind of cliche that sounds good, but doesn't really fit the situation. Because Martha's like, I know he'll rise again at the end, Jesus. Like, I get that. I've got the hope down the road. I understand that. And Jesus is trying to get her to understand that he's talking about something bigger at this point, but it just sounds like a cliche in the moment. And so when Jesus arrives at the house, remember that Lazarus has been dead for four days, um, that he's already been placed in a tomb, as they would have done back then. And Jesus arrives at the house of Martha and Mary and Lazarus and notices that when he arrives that everyone there is in tears and they're heartbroken, right? And who would blame them? Of course, that's exactly what all of us would feel. And then we get one of the most powerful passages in Scripture, and there is more that can be said about this one passage that explains how God comes in human form and what it means for God to come in human form. And it's this, that Jesus began to cry. And maybe you read that and you think to yourself, well, I mean, that's, that's not a big deal. Like I've cried, you've cried, we've all cried, right? We all... But what this passage is telling us is that Jesus was God in the flesh, The God of all things, who stands above all things, whose ways you and I can never understand, but oftentimes we question, that when that God came in human form in the person of Jesus, that Jesus cried. That tells me that Jesus felt what they felt in the room. That Jesus felt in a very real way the loss of his friend. He could grieve and mourn alongside Mary and Martha and all those who were gathered in the house. And of course, we've read the rest of this. We know perhaps what's coming next, or we will in just a moment. Even Jesus, knowing what his next actions would or could be, still feels grief in this moment. A lot of, this does a lot of things, but for one, it honors that for us, grieving is real. It honors that it can happen. For um, for those who have, uh, the, the term we use is constipated emotions, who who perhaps for one reason or another don't feel like it's appropriate or respectful to cry or to grieve or don't feel that maybe because of who they are, their position or something about them that they can't do that. We have a different model in Jesus. And and so what we find in this is that oftentimes people are well-meaning when something like this happens. You know, they'll say something like, just be happy that your loved one isn't in pain anymore. It's true, but it doesn't really help. Or maybe they'll say, you know, you'll feel better and you'll move on soon. My experience has been that no one really wants to move on. They they don't want to forget the person that they've lost, and we shouldn't. And so what we have here in Jesus is a model of a friend who in a sense says, I'm not sure what to say in this moment. I'm not exactly sure what to do in this moment. But I'm here for you, and I miss them too. And for many of us, We feel this need to fix things, and for Jesus in this moment, the important thing was to be present with those who are suffering. And so, of course, because Jesus is who he is, the next thing that he does is he goes to the tomb where they had buried Lazarus and where he'd already been dead for four days. That four days thing is pretty important, so it's not just maybe a coincidence that he was sleeping, right? And he goes to the tomb and he tells them to remove the stone. And, of course, this is foreshadowing what will come later on down the road for Jesus. And what he says is one of, another powerful passage in Scripture. I want to share it with you right here. Having said this, which was remove the stone, Jesus shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his feet bound and his hands tied and his face covered with the cloth. And Jesus said to them, Untie him and let him go. And I highlighted two of these phrases in here because, again, if we can really look at this passage, these are powerful words that Jesus is speaking. Jesus is speaking into the tomb, into death, into that unknown that for, for many people is a source of fear and unknown. And Jesus is speaking with authority into that place, commanding Lazarus to come out of the dead. And so all of a sudden, that place of death and unknownness, we, we see that God can not only mourn with us, but that Jesus can also speak into and call us out of death. And he gives the command for them to untie him and let him go. And, and throughout church history, the church has really understood this as one of the pivotal moments where Jesus asserts God's authority over death. And begins to paint the picture, even if the disciples then couldn't see where this was going, begins to paint the picture that there is a hope of resurrection beyond death. And so no longer is death the final word for Lazarus because Jesus even commands that. And so we're seeing here the foreshadowing of what would come next. And, and I'm guessing in that moment, nobody was thinking about foreshadowing. People, people were probably amazed and scared and unsure But Martha and Mary had their brother back. And I recognize that for, I would say, all of us, uh, that that is not usually the case of what happens. But what we see Jesus doing in this is helping us to approach uh, that, that divide between life and death differently. And so he speaks these powerful words that really begin to change the dynamic of what's coming next. And for Jesus, a lot of what his ministry and mission was, was what I used to enjoy so much about going to the movie theater. Now, uh, think back to when you used to go to the movies. And you'll remember that before the movies were these things called the previews, right? And I love previews because those were some of the earliest glimpses you could get of movies that were coming out next. Sometimes we can see those online ahead of time, but there was a period of time where the previews, were the way that you saw what's coming next, and if you saw those, you could tell your friends, I saw this amazing preview, and this is the next movie coming out. And so Jesus, this passage about Lazarus becomes a preview of what comes next for Jesus. But it also becomes a preview of what comes next for the saints. I'm going to say a little bit more about that word, and I wasn't talking about the football team. I was talking about um, saints in terms of faith. But this is also a preview in terms of what comes next for both heaven and earth, as we saw in the Revelation passage. Because what's happening here is that death is being defeated, and that all things are being made new. And that idea of all things are Lazarus is being made new, the relationships that he had are being made new, uh, Jesus will be made new, the saints, the earth, and heaven. And it's God's way of just beginning the, the journey towards all things being made new. And so on All Saints Sunday, as I said, we remember the lives of those who have gone on before us in the faith. Those who have, some have said, have already finished their journey on earth. Um, Those who have, as others will say, have outrun us into the arms of God. But I want to define a little further who a saint is, because depending on your faith or religious background, those can mean very different things. And what we mean by this, quite simply, is that a saint is someone who is a follower of Jesus, who has gone on into life after this life, into life after death. Uh, and as Protestants and as United Methodists, we don't uh, hold a process for becoming a saint. There's not kind of a period after your death where you have to, you know, apply or someone has to kind of apply for you to become a saint. Uh, there, are, We don't necessarily pray to the saints, and there's not kind of a special group where like me as a pastor automatically gets like a card, like a saint card, but perhaps if you're not a pastor, you don't get that. None of those kind of qualifications or things that were kind of added later throughout history are what we're talking about today. So if I can very simply offer you a definition of a saint as a follower of Jesus who has gone on into glory. And maybe you relate more to the term of, you'd say, well, I don't mind calling myself a sinner because I get things wrong, but I don't know if I'd call myself a saint. The reality here is that this term is not defined by how you and I feel. It's defined by how God sees us. And when we come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we are made new, not because we get it right, but because of who Jesus Christ is. And so that term, if you put on the term saint and try it on today, that may not feel right for you. But I want to understand that this is what it means to be a saint, is that when we go on to glory, that we are those that we can remember whose lives perhaps have been impacted. So the good news that we have today is that there can be hope in unclear and uncertain times like we lived in today. And I realize that as you heard that passage from Revelation, there is so much clarity in John's vision of what comes next. I mean, you can hear it oozing out. There's no question of what he saw. And he gave the church A strong foundation of hope, so that in every age since that revelation, the church has found hope in its most difficult and darkest seasons in the book of Revelation. We, I, you would love that kind of certainty and that kind of hope. I would love any kind of foundation to stand on to have any idea of what comes next. I would love a vision of our future, even just our immediate future in terms of the virus that included no more tears. I would love the certainty of a clear way forward for the pandemic, for reopening, for getting back together, for going back to, quote, normal, whatever that was before. I would love to see a writing of all the wrongs of injustice that we have seen really brought to the surface in the soul of our country in this season. But the truth is is that we are living in in between times. Where we have a vision of what comes next, but we still have both feet in this world today. And that right now this is a season that is heavy and hard. And so we turn in these kinds of seasons to what we know to be true. And one of the passages that's always been helpful to me comes from Romans and it begins like this. I'm convinced. I want to pause there for just a moment before we go on any further and say Paul at this moment of writing Romans was convinced. And so as people of faith, if we are not feeling particularly convinced right now, one of the tools of our faith is by holding on to the experience of those who've been faithful, of those saints from the past. So I want to invite us to to hang on to Paul's convincedness a new word for you, as we try to find some hope. The next thing that Paul says is, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love in Jesus Christ our Lord. And perhaps he was thinking about to this story of Lazarus, that there was nothing that could separate us from God's love, not even death, which was before Jesus the great separator. And then Paul, in Paul's form, just goes on to name a few things that we feel might separate us from the love of God. Not death or life, not angels or rulers, not present things or future things, not powers or height or depth or any other thing that is created. I mean, we could do a Bible study on this. You could meditate on just this passage alone this week and find a great sense of hope. I encourage you to do that. Because what Paul is saying here is death and life that's not going to separate the love of God from us. Angels or rulers, you know as well as I do what's happening on Tuesday, and a reminder that no matter what happens in the powers of the world, that won't separate us from the love of God. Not things present, like a COVID virus, or future things of unknown about what it's going to look like. Not powers, and we could think about all the systematic powers that we've seen that oppress some while Allowing others to live a life of comfort and privilege, right? Not height or depth or any other thing. And so what the vision that Paul gives, the thing that he is convinced of, is that in Jesus Christ, maybe not in the rulers, maybe not in the world, maybe not in others, but in Jesus Christ, there is nothing that can be separated from the love of God. And so I want to encourage us this morning to reaffirm our trust in Jesus by reaffirming that we believe that God can keep us no matter what happens. Whether we're on a mountaintop or in a valley low, God is with us. So for us who've been followers of Jesus for a long time, this is a good opportunity for us to just reaffirm once again, Jesus, I trust in you. And if you're watching or tuning in from somewhere and you've never put your faith in Jesus, this can be a great time to start and say, say, God, everything around me, I don't have a clue what is happening or what's coming next. Express how you feel. I'm sad, alone, I'm scared, I'm stressed, I'm angry. But God, I'm going to try and trust in you. And God will help you in that process. If you want to know a little bit more about what it looks like to put your faith in Jesus for the first time, uh, you can pop over to today at citrus.org and there's a spot there that says follow Jesus. And that'll just share about your decision today to follow Jesus. But I'm aware that this week, kind of like every week nowadays, but even so this week, will be an uncertain one. It's not even clear that by Tuesday that we will have some sort of semblance in terms of the election and which way it went. We might be living in another in-between time for weeks to come. But here's what I do know, is that God wants to use you this week. You who have certainty of who Christ is, you who are convinced that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ, you can share that message with our neighbors who are anxious, who are warring, who are hurting, who are grieving. And the reminder to them is not that everything will be fixed right away or that you can fix everything because we can't. But like Martha and Mary, when they lost their brother, we have a friend in Jesus who sits and grieves with us, but also walks us to a future filled with hope. So I hope that that is something that you feel and that you can offer this week to those that you come in contact with. Uh, John Wesley, in his final words before uh, his own death, before his own entry into uh, the life of saints, his last words were, the best of all, God is with us.
0: Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, citruschurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, God loves you.